0: what's amazing is that Jesus has a a plan for everything he has a vision for everything even every aspect of your life every element of your life i'm um, including your relationships and in order for us to have the best year of our life we have to really in fact like grab and grab and, and gravitate towards uh, even our relationships as we maneuver through the three hundred and sixty five days that we have over the next year. Uh, but but what's so cool is that Jesus often gives us vision about how to move into uh, our relationships, how to how to actually have awesome relationships, how to be uh, very life-giving in our relationships, but just to have an incredible uh, moment together, and so often Jesus gives us visions of this, and He gives us uh, incredible uh, moments that we can remember. This, uh, and in fact, He even did it this week, and I just think Jesus's vision for our life might look something uh, like this. And um, I'm not, yeah, you know, <laughs> where. Where he can take, you know, he can take and put smiles on faces that don't see them and cause victory to take place in many areas of our life. And we're so excited uh, about Jesus's vision for our relationships and so thankful that he gives us visions like this. Um, But in fact, in fact, what what if there is one question that you could ask this year that would change the trajectory of every relationship that you have over the next year? What, What if... What if there's one question that you could ask that would change the trajectory of every relationship you have uh, currently? What if there's one question that you could ask uh, that would change everything about the way you relate to people in general? And that question, I think that the Bible teaches, and I think the question that we need to ask ourselves intentionally this year is this one question, who do I need to forgive now look, that's a question that's really difficult, right? I mean, it hits us in our bones, it hits us in our core. Uh, a lot of times it brings up questions and thoughts of people both dead and alive. And it puts us in places that we really need the grace of God and we really need moments, we really need each other. Um, but really, I think what the Bible teaches us and puts us in a, he puts us in a spot where we need to interact with this question intentionally, um, with grace and mercy uh, and we really need to interact with it purposefully in order for us to experience the best year that we've ever had. What, what I love about Jesus is that he doesn't always He, he doesn't, it doesn't just leave us by ourselves when it comes to this. He often teaches us ways um, and, visions, and gives us vision for our life that allows us to interact with that. Many of us know the Lord's Prayer. Many of us know the Lord's Prayer. In fact, we probably were taught it while we were a kid and, we've met, and we kind of recited it each and every single night. When, as, we, as we grew up, but, but in it is a very specific phrase that really has, has, has tons of implications for how we relate to each other and how we relate to people in our family and in our workplaces, but you know this, and you, know, you know the words to this very well, but this is what Matthew 6 says, it says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, look, often we we use this as a a way to teach us how to pray. And one prayer that we often pray as a church is, is that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, where God has everything where he intends it to be. But right in center of this prayer and central to Jesus' first sermon where he's laying out what it means to be a follower of Jesus, central to this prayer is that he has a vision for our life that has something to do with forgiveness. See, this isn't just a prayer. This is Jesus saying, this is what I desire for you. This is how I want your life to look. This is how you were created to interact with every aspect of your life. And central to this idea is that you can forgive as you have been forgiven, because here is what we know, is that Jesus deeply cares about this. Now the phrase, the word for, forgive here, is the, is the phrase, uh, aphiomi. And it's the same word that's used all throughout the New Testament, used the most to translate forgiveness. And it simply means this, to release and send away. What a great image for forgiveness. Forgiveness is really, to release and send away the hurt, the pain, and the bitterness that we feel against the person that wronged us when we remind ourselves of the things that happened to us. To forgive as we have been forgiven is really to release and send away all the things that have been done to us and to free ourselves from the bitterness and the rage that comes when we think about those things. So this, this phrase, you know, the forgive us our debts, as we've forgiven our debts, has massive implications for us of how we should live our life because here's what Jesus is trying to teach us. Here's what Jesus actually has thoughts about and a vision for us. Here's what Jesus actually wants us to know is that forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. But, but here's the thing, forgiveness... In, like, in its essence holds a lot of misconceptions because deep down it affects every emotion that we could potentially have. I mean, it just affects everything. It might wreak havoc on our souls because we're in a spot where we don't know how, but we really might want to. Or we do know how, and we really do not want to. Forgiveness affects us deep down, but we often maneuver it. We often don't do it because of the misconceptions that we have about forgiveness. And, and so today, what we wanna do is maneuver through that in a different way, but here, here's the thing. I think, you know what the biggest misconception I think about forgiveness is? Is that we've actually forgiven people. We say, I have forgiven them. We say that, you know what, that, that wrong that, that happened, you know, no, no, don't big deal, no worry about it. Don't worry about it. But then, if you're a dude, you're eventually mowing the lawn, and that, that conversation that happens with that person, are we tracking here? Come on, I'm not by myself, right? Like, you're the man, right? Like, you are, you are mowing the lawn, and you know exactly what to say, but what you do is you put that in a box, and then you put that right up in the garage, and you keep it there. And what what ends up happening when we do this? When when we think we have forgiven people, we actually perhaps become cordial, but we actually have not forgiven. And so what happens is we move through our life kind of like this jar here. And, and, And the more wrongs that we have, I mean, go back to when you're eight and move all the way until you're 80. We get these wrongs that we kind of collect. We have our little black books that we kind of remember in. And every wrong that we have, we kind of just kind of, you know, just fill up, it fills our jar up with water just a little bit. Little spot. It could be a name that was chosen for you. It could have been a thing that was done to you. It could have been a way your parents came home one day. It could something that you remember, something that you wake up with, something that you wake up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden it's there. When you're taking a shower or something, stuff that pops into your head, and you realize that there's a twinge of anger still. There's a, just kind of a little twitch of, of, of bitterness or maybe rage that pops up when you think about that. And what we're doing is we're collecting all of these into the water. But, but here's what happens is that not only does it happen when we're kids or as we enter into adulthood, but it continues to take place. Maybe it's a name that you were called. It was kind of a, a, a bad relationship with your in-laws. It could be a tough marriage. It's something we begin to collect it, and it, our jars fill up with water. And we move through life, realizing that we actually have hurts and pains all the way through, and then what happens is this. Your kid comes in and says something the wrong way, right? And, oh, it spills out. And you lose your mind, have you ever been there? You're like, why am I yelling at my dad from 40 years ago, but he's a four year old standing in front of me? Have you, ever, have you ever done that? I have, yeah. Not my dad, my dad's sitting right there. I wasn't yelling at you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> like, why am I yelling so bad at my kid? Why am I losing it on my kids? When a coworker walks by you and you give him the cold shoulder, What you're doing is you're allowing anger and hurt from a filled jar when you actually haven't adequately dealt with forgiveness to spill out over into your life. And Jesus' vision for your life is that you have a glass and a jar that's emptying out with every wrong and every pain and every hurt that you find yourself with. See, Jesus doesn't have this vision that we walk around with this overwhelmed, stressed-out, anger-filled life. He wants you to be people of forgiveness so that you can actually forgive and so that you can release and send away each and every hurt and pour out your cup. But we don't do this because a lot of times we struggle with this idea of letting the other person off the hook, don't we? We struggle with this idea of this tension between mercy and justice. Certainly, we want to be people of grace because that's what we have been shown. But certainly, we can't let them enable them in their current offense or in their past offense. We can't say that they're good or say that they're okay because if we do that, we're going to give them something that they don't deserve. And so we're stuck in the tension between mercy and justice. We have no idea how to actually forgive the people that have hurt us in the past. Forgiveness means to release and send away. It comes from the idea that the Israelite nation, they would celebrate Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. is the the holiest day of the Jewish calendar where they would reconvene and, and renew their covenant with God. And they would take the animal, they would take an animal and they would cast, symbolically cast all the sins of the nation onto this animal and they would send them away into the wilderness sort of symbolically releasing the sins out of the presence of God release and send away release and send away but in the tension between mercy and justice where do we find ourselves so having so difficult have such a difficult time actually forgiving the people that we need to forgive if we want to have the best year of our life we need to ask our question who do i need to forgive And so there's a few truths that I want to share this morning, and actually they're truths um, that that my wife Connie uh, developed and and, and maneuvered. And so all this content is, you can thank her for that, don't thank me. But she developed, she's been thinking about it, talking about it. We've often been been uh, pushing back and forth on this for the last few weeks. And there's really four misconceptions and four truths that we want you to remember as you journey on towards forgiveness with people. Number one, Forgiveness is a one-person sport. Forgiveness is a one-person sport. You, you know what's amazing about the Scriptures is that the Scriptures never put a prerequisite on forgiveness. Never do. It, this, is, this is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. That Forgiveness is a one-person sport. He says, Stop being bitter and angry and mad at others. Don't yell at one another or curse each other or, or ever be rude. Instead, be kind and merciful. Forgive others just as God forgave you because of Christ. He didn't say like, you know what? You know, hey, you know, don't be rude ever unless, or don't ever be rude except for when. You know what? You can stop being rude and you cannot forgive them when this happens. See, many of us have this understanding that we need to wait for the other person to shape up before we can forgive, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that forgiveness is a one-person sport. Forgiveness is the releasing and sending away for your own emotional well-being. Forgiveness is something that says, I am going to deal with my hurt, with my pain, with my anger, with my spouse, with my parents, with my kids, with my coworkers, with, with the, the football fans, with the whatever, with the football parents, with the soccer coaches, whatever the case is, and deal with my own so that I can release and send away because I have in fact received that same exact thing. See, many of us, what we do is we put the whole process of forgiveness, the whole idea of our relationships into one moment. And we say, okay, if we forgive them, then we're actually letting them off the hook. Or if we forgive them, I don't want them to keep doing the thing that they're doing to me. I don't want them to wrong me continuously. And actually, that whole idea, that whole idea of forgiveness is not the same event. See, forgiveness, what we say is forgiveness is of the past, Forgiveness deals with the past, reconciliation is for the present, and trust is for the future. In fact, I know that this is so deep, and this, this is, probably, this is this, the main conversation I had between gatherings today, but I don't want to let them off the hook. But that's not about forgiveness, that's about trust, that's about reconciliation. See, forgiveness is not reconciliation. So if you say to somebody, hey, uh, I'm just gonna wait for them to shape up before I forgive them, before I release and send away, I'm going to wait until they're sober. I'm going to wait until they ask for forgiveness and they apologize to me. I'm going to wait uh, for them to, to get a little bit better and stop using or stop saying that thing about me or stop gossiping. I'm going to wait for them to grow so that I can forgive them and feel okay about myself. But really, that's just control. That's not forgiveness. See forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness deals with what's in me so that I can move into a relationship in a healthy way and I can be reconciled with that person. That relationship may never get to trust again. Trust comes later. But forgiveness, that none of that says that you shouldn't do your deep work of forgiveness. See, some of you have been dealing with the same hurt or the same pain for 10, 20, 30 years. And it has affected your life so badly that you have a hard time going to work. You have a hard time relating to people. You have a hard time deeply connecting because you are interacting with a pain that happened years and years and years ago. And perhaps you're saying some of these things to yourself. I can't forgive them because I don't want to release what they did. I can't forgive them because I don't want to enable them. I can't forgive them. But Jesus is saying, forgive as you have been forgiven. Deeply with much. It may never get to reconciliation. But that doesn't mean you can't forgive. And if it does, by God's grace, get to reconciliation, it might mean that you never trust again that person. But by God's grace, you may be able to grow there. But forgiveness is a one-person sport with no prerequisite to sharing it for yourself. So we have to forgive as we have been forgiven. Forgiven people forgive people. Number two, Forgiveness is a one-person sport, but forgiveness makes us like Christ. Forgiveness makes us just like Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 5, where he says this, where, where Paul says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, this is what I love. It's many times we wait for the other person to jump into the gap. But in all reality, Jesus jumped into the gap first so that we could have forgiveness and so that we could have a relationship with God again. See, there's a gap that often happens when we've been wronged, but we often forget that that's our story as humans, is that God creates us with this grand plan, with this great intention for us, and that sin separates us, and God can't be in the same room with sin. And there's this big gap And Jesus himself fills it so that we can have his righteousness and not the sin that we carry. So that instead of being sinners, we can be saints. Like that gap was filled by Jesus. But when we fill the gap, when we jump into those broken relationships to seek out forgiveness, when we jump into our own pain so that we can release and send away, we are doing exactly what Jesus did for us. So, you often forget how much you were forgiven of. You often forget how free you are because of Christ. But many times we don't carry that into our relationships and we stranglehold and we chain every relationship that we have because we can't forgive someone that did something to us a long time ago. We don't have freedom in our life because we don't have forgiveness. And so if we need to forgive our trespasses as, as we have been forgiven and forgive, our, and forgive others as we have ourselves have been forgiven, if we are going to do that, we need to understand that Jesus stepped in the gap first. And so what I love about this is that Galatians chapter two gives us the understanding that where we get our power to do this, because this is difficult. This is difficult, but Galatians chapter two says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The power that you have to begin to release and send away doesn't come from you, it comes from Christ. And a lot of times we journey through this pain by ourselves, but Jesus, by his grace, says he's close to the brokenhearted. He's near to those who need him. And perhaps for some of you today, you haven't been doing that because you've been by yourself and lonely. But Jesus says he's close. And so forgiveness is a one-person sport. It makes us just like Jesus, but forgiveness requires strength. Forgiveness requires strength. Somewhere in our culture, someone, somewhere, somehow made us believe that forgiveness is weakness. Until you're in a spot where you need to forgive somebody 77 times for the same thing. And then you realize how strong you need to be to actually forgive. Forgiveness isn't weakness, forgiveness is strength. It's, it comes for you, it powers you, and it boldens you by Christ. But this is what he says in Matthew 18, where he teaches us about this. Peter goes to ask him a question, and he says this. He says, Peter came to Jesus and asked, the Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven times? That's all the law required, and even that is difficult if you've ever been in that position. And he says, Jesus answered, I tell you, not just seven times, but 77 times. It was Jesus' way of saying, always, always always forgive you forgive everyone always and so it's not just seven times but it's 77 times you're not just about doing it's not just extending the list another 70 times so that you can check it off and make sure you say oh shape up all right you only got 73 left that's not what he's saying there He's saying become a person of forgiveness, that the followers of Jesus, they have hearts that can release and send away. They have minds that can release and send away. They have souls that can release and send away. Followers of Jesus don't live there with their cup full of anger and bitterness and resentment. They can, they can empty it one at a time. It requires strength. But but many times, here's the deal. We have to forgive people for great things. And some of you have been uh, been just the the, the victim of massive hurts. Massive hurts. And I would say, if that's the case, you need to do this with a lot of wisdom. You need to seek counsel. You need to have friends that that you can maneuver this with. But some of us, it's the little tiny things that we need to forgive. It might not be an abuse from the past. It might not be a history of uh, emotional or mental mind control. It might not be a history of this massive stuff, but it might be just these little tiny things from day to day where you just don't know how to release and send away. I love C.S. Lewis. In The Weight of Glory, an essay that he wrote, he, he, he writes this. He writes, to be a Christian means to forgive the unexcusable because God has forgiven the unexcusable in you. This is hard. It's perhaps not so hard uh, to, give a single, to forgive a single great injury, but to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life. To keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, the bullying husband, the nagging wife, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son. But how can we do it? Only, I think, by remembering where we stand, by meaning our words when we say in our prayers each night, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse it is to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. There is no hint of exceptions and God means what he says. See, for some of you, it might not be this big, big hurt. It could be the daily little provocations. Forgiveness is strength, it's incredibly strong to be a person of forgiveness. A lot of times, weakness, when it comes to this type of forgiveness, weakness is not so much in forgiving, but it's actually in allowing that person to continue to do the same thing over and over and over again. Remember, reconciliation and trust comes down the road. But a simple exercise in personal boundaries allows that pain and allows that hurt to be controlled and stopped. See, a lot of times we see ourselves so intertwined with our abuser or intertwined with the person that hurt us or intertwined with that type of, uh, of interaction with that person. We see ourselves so intertwined with that that we don't even know ourselves apart from it. But boundaries knows that we are our own person and they are their own person. And so we have a, a, you know, a, a simple circles type of a thing that we can see this in. A lot of times we're so intertwined that we don't know ourselves from the other person. And so to forgive them means like you're just shattering your entire life. But strength allows us to enter in because when when you understand your own boundaries, that you're your own person, you know that you have your own difficulties, you know you have your own struggles, you know you have your own stuff, but it's yours. And that person has theirs, and you, upon those terms, get to enter into a relationship with that person or not. You say, this is the type of relationship I want to be in. Many times we go into relationships and we say, you need to do this so I can be happy. We don't say that, but that's what we mean. You need to do this. You need to say sorry. You need to move into this type of a movement. You need to be able to not do this anymore because my happiness depends on it. But that's not what relationships are. Your joy, your, your satisfaction, that comes from Christ. And we get to decide what type of relationship we want to be in. And so if that relationship has hurt and pain, we get to work on that. If that includes me doing some work personally, which it does, you do that work. And this is what I love about relationships, right? You have a whole bunch of mess and a whole bunch of mess. When you put it together, you get perfect squeaky clean, right? Isn't that, isn't that what works? Isn't that how it works? No, you get like a much bigger mess. And then you multiply that by 500 and then you get community covenant church, right? Like that's how, you, that's how we do things. That's what the Bible teaches, right? Like relationships, we're all sinful, and we're all underneath this idea that sin broke us. But by God's grace, he sends Jesus, and Jesus forgives us and gives us his righteousness so that we, although broken, can become restored and repaired. And then we get to exercise grace with each other. That's what's so beautiful about the church, is that although we're all broken, we still get to glorify God together, and we still get to bear each other's burdens, and we still get to enjoy each other's broken, broken lives. We get to serve each other as interdependent people. But that's the same picture that God has for all of your relationships. That give the grace. It's incredibly strong to forgive. Not just 70 times, not just seven times, but 77. And ultimately to become people of forgiveness. And so we have people, we have forgiveness that is a one-person sport. Forgiveness that uh, makes us like Jesus. Forgiveness that requires strength. But we have to understand That forgiveness is a process. See, Jesus is in the midst of broken relationships and he desires to see reconciliation. He desires to see growth. He desires to see this glorify him and for you to grow and for you to change and for you to include him in the midst of this process. This is what he says, just a little bit earlier in Matthew 18, um, where where he's talking to his disciples. He says, "Again, truly I tell you that if two are, if two of you on earth agree about anything, they ask, for it will be done. Uh, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them." A lot of times in church world, we apply this to church gatherings that are poorly attended, and that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about spiritual. Uh, he's talking about a spiritual base to our broken relationships. If you read all of Matthew 18, he's saying, okay, you got broken relationships, but where two or three of you are there trying to reconcile, trying to do the work. If you're trying to do the process of forgiveness, he's there with you in the midst. He's close to the brokenhearted. He's there and he's close to help you do the work of forgiveness. See, a lot of times what we do when we think about forgiveness, we automatically go right to reconciliation and trust. We think, okay, if I forgive, I have to be in reconciling. And that's not the case. Reconciling might come a year down the road sometimes. For me, I had a major, major hurt that happened in my life a number of years ago. It took me two years to even write an email. To even write an email. But it took two years of the work of forgiveness so that I could end up moving into that. Forgiveness is a one-person sport, and so there's a process, um, and we, 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 have a, we struck up a friendship with a, a, an author named jo, Jason Romano, and Jason's actually going to spend some time with us later on in the spring. He's going to come and hang out with us for a little bit, but Jason wrote a book uh, called Live to Forgive, and Jason, um, he has a story about his dad. His dad uh, was a massive, massive, massive alcoholic. In his entire life, he, he kind of journeyed through this story of, of becoming someone that recognized that his dad was an alcoholic and the pain and the hurt that is tied to having that type of a, a strain on a relationship. But he knew that there was, there was something more. And God, as he, as he began to follow Jesus, he, he actually starts to interact with the process of forgiveness. And, and he wrote the book with a few extra steps as we began to maneuver this, uh, this understanding of forgiveness. And he said there's, there's really four steps. Um, the first one is to name the pain, if you could throw those on the screen there, is to feel the pain. When you feel the pain, a lot of times we, some of us, we, we just try to get right past it. We just want to get to forgive, but we don't name the person or name the hurt that hurt us. Sometimes I talk to people, they're like, oh, you know what, I'm all done with church. And I'm like, oh, why? He goes, well, that church down the street, you know what, they they did this and they did that or whatever. And I said, and I always say, who? Who did it? Well, they did it. Organizations can't hurt you. Organizations are on paper. There's someone that hurt you. Who was it? And to feel the pain, it's okay to feel the pain. Sometimes we just, we don't want to do that work. We don't want to feel that pain. We don't want to feel any of that junk that we have in our boxes because ultimately we just want to get past it so that we can fix things. He says, no, 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 feel the pain. Realize that there's something to be dealt with. And he says, you know evaluate the trauma. What is hurting you? How is it affecting you emotionally? We've got to evaluate what's going on. He, he, uses, he uses this really cool imagery uh, for, uh, for different boxes that we have uh, in our lives. And to do the work of forgiveness isn't just about feeling the pain and recognizing the pain that you have, but it's actually opening that box. He talks about his dad. His dad him and his dad had, were, had a relationship over the phone. And after his dad got sober for a little while, the, whenever the phone rang, he still had the same feelings every time that phone rang. He was working towards reconciliation, was working towards that stuff, but he knew because for so long, that phone call on the other side of that was a drunken, uh, was a drunken uh, dad. He knew that, that, that his body was just literally telling him to be careful. Same feeling every single time. You got to evaluate that. You got to recognize that. You can't just scurry past that. He says, then you have to, from there you try to transform the wound, allow God to do something with it move into healing for yourself, for other people. When we don't forgive, even if we just feel the pain and evaluate the trauma, but if we don't transform it, we're still paralyzed in our life. You could be paralyzed for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and at the heart of it is unforgiveness. It could be because of our dads, because of our moms, because of our kids and we're dealing with all of these things but eventually we move through this so that we can eventually forgive the abuser. Jason talks about the time where he has this phone call with his dad. And for the first time in his life, he feels empathy towards his dad's situation. And he realizes, you know what? I'm beginning to forgive him. It's not better. There was zero reconciliation. It was awkward. But there was forgiveness because he knew it was a one-person sport. And we have to do the hard work of releasing and sending away so that we can be forgiven people that forgive people. Jason, uh, I was able to sit down with Jason to do an interview. You're going to have the, some time to uh, hear a little bit about that. Um, but we're going to send out his, his book and his, uh, a, a fuller interview, a longer interview later on this week through our newsletter. Um, if you're not on that, you definitely just leave your email address on the, at the Connections desk. We'll be able to sign you up for that. Um, But ultimately, church, we need to be people that forgive because we have been forgiven. And the misconceptions that we have, we need to name so that we can ultimately do that hard work. Don't worry about reconciliation yet. Don't worry about trust. Trust is after. Do the hard work personally to become a person of forgiveness so that later you can be a person that reconciles. What if we had a world that did this? What would our workplaces look like if you were the person that led in forgiveness? What would our families look like if you were the person that led in forgiveness? We would be free people that know how to release and send away, whether it's big or incessant. And ultimately, we'd be able to see new life come through Christ. So I pray this week, in this year, I pray 2018 is the year that you learn how to stop living with your jar full and begin to systematically release and send away from a week ago, from a month ago, from a year ago, from decades ago, so that we can see the life of Christ formed in us and truly have the best year of our life.